Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Hello, and welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is June Kim, an award-winning classical pianist who has played piano. She's 41. She's played piano since she was four. And you don't need to be a math whiz. Or, I mean, maybe you do, to know that that's 37 years of playing piano almost her entire life, and she's played all across the globe. So we're talking all about her mindset when she is performing, whether it's solo, getting her daily practicing in, or on a stage in front of hundreds of thousands of people, however large these these venues are. A lot of people watching, all eyes on her. And how she kind of fights off those internal monsters that we all have and puts on a great show. June also is a recent artist with her book, Whenever You're Ready, How to Compose the Life of Your Dreams, having come out just in August. It's a fantastic read, structured like one of her performances. So if you've never even seen her in concert, you can pick up a copy of the book and it's like you're experiencing it there. While also giving you a nice kick in the pants to get going on whatever your next creative endeavor is. Of course, because she's a musician, we're talking about her worst gig, because we always like hearing that. Lots of good stuff in this episode, so keep on listening. I mean, you already pushed play. You might as well keep on listening. If you'd like to get in touch with Good People Cool Things, you can reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GPCT Podcast. You can also send an email, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Let's kick it into the show. And now let's hop into the conversation with June. For people who don't know who you are, can you give us your elevator pitch and tell us the type of elevator that we're riding on? Hi, I'm concert pianist Yoon Kim. People refer me as a gateway drug to classical music. And I, I accomplished that, <laughs> this saying, by um, creating engaging concert experience, uh, being a podcast host. Um, try to create a concert that is uh, connected to people taking bridge down between creating a bridge actually between the audiences and and me as a performer and make uh, beauty of classical music is available to everyone and uh, part of now I am also author and that's also uh, my way of uh, enticing people get to know me better and eventually they uh, step closer to classical music. Love it. And we'll get into the book for sure. But I know you you credit your success to certain disciplines and practices and mindsets that you kind of encapsulate every day. So can you share some of those so maybe the rest of us can see some success too? <laughs> yeah, I guess it is all about, you know, a lot of people would say you're so talented and I actually laugh internally. And if you only see how much I work and, you know, as a pers- give you a perspective, if I started when I started uh, piano four years, years old and I'm now 41 years old, that's 37 years of four or five hours each day, nonstop. And that's, <laughs> that's how much discipline and perseverance required to, um, you know, be in the field. And actually this becomes part of my life. And it's not that I have so much more perseverance and motivation power, but I think for me, it is uh, more about creating a habit 
and build a system to uh, where I want to go and forget the goal and actually focusing on the system. For example, if I, uh, I know I need to practice in order to uh, maintain as a concert pianist. And I actually, in the fact that I love playing piano, so the uh, practicing piano in the every day, it's really important to me, then I actually have to create it I don't have to think about when I practice piano. So for example, for me, after breakfast, um, that is my sacred time that I get my morning practice in. That's the only time that I actually don't think about when I practice piano and I have to secure that um, the time for myself. And even if I don't feel like doing it, I still do. And I, I, I really know that my feelings, even though I love piano, uh, ups and downs. So some days like I really feel, don't feel like doing it, but I still do it because I believe that action speaks louder than words. And um, I'm committed to this relationship with my piano. And regardless of how I feel, I do it anyway. And I learned over the years that motivation is not about how you feel and then you do something. It's more about you do it, then you will get motivated. So I always call it as a butt power. And if you sit down and start to work on something, and then actually there's some energy created within. And I think the first step getting into the piano is the hardest step. But if I create that as an easy, less friction as possible, make it as more automatic each, each day, it was so much easier. And that's maybe some part of my uh, perseverance and keep doing um, in, in, in within the system. But every morning I write a journal that writing part of it, you know, even writing a book, I, I really believe in the power of writing because being a concert pianist, I deal with this monster in my head all the time. <laughs> that's, that's the negative voice within, you know, I have a self-doubt or, you know, criticism that actually there are professional critics that criticize my performance on newspaper after I play. So that doesn't really help for my monster inside of me. Um, but I, believe that everybody has that monster and I believe that that monster will never go away but we can tame them so over the years in my performance career that I have to actually find a way to tame this monster otherwise I'm always going to have this battle on stage and about those voices before during or after what I really found interesting is that those monsters wake up only during those stressful or you know in front of people or during the concert normally when i practice daily day that it, it monster doesn't speak to me as much but as soon as i am about to go on a stage or performing those monsters much louder in my head so i had to learn the pattern of this monster and uh, really write it down what does it say and really analyze is this coming from my childhood is it someone something that I heard when I was young or my friend or my teacher where is the root of this monster and then after that I write uh, I, because we all have an angel, angel side of us which is oh you're doing great everything is fine you know all those positive side of us which I call it an angel which is on my side as well and I have to write it uh, one to five, one monster voice to five different angel positive voices. And I actually defend myself with those angelic positive voices. And if I say like, you know, I'm so nervous about upcoming concert, then I will write it 
you know, you love playing piano. People gonna love it. Don't, you know, I want to share this beauty with the world. Or whatever that is, I really try to create a positive uh, combat to that negative voice. And every morning when I write it, this journaling, it's I write a self-affirmation sentences. Maybe it's a, you know, strengthening my angel, um, visualize uh, the upcoming concert, whatever the important event coming up in the detail, as ideal scenario as possible. Um, and, you know, like I write it like what could my today better? And that's not about, you know, do this task or that task, more about the attitude, like, you know, kind of take it, take it, take it easy, be, be, be mindful, whatever the attitude that I want to have. And maybe at the evening, I will write, you know, what are the things that have happened today? Amazing thing happened. It's, it's not a major thing, but maybe little things. Um, I write it, what, it, what am I grateful for? And then at the end, maybe I write it, what could my make my day even better? And often that I would write, Jiyun, today was beautiful, wasn't it? Other times I would write, mm, you could exercise more today or whatever. So for me, I have to create a self uh, coach who is a compassionate, gentle, warm, yet a very um, positive, giving a positive feedback for me to move forward in my life. And this writing routine that I have on a daily basis is me creating another self. And so whenever I need it, I can pick myself up. And uh, being a performing artist, it's a, it's a lonely journey. But I realized that everybody's journey is lonely. Even if you have a partner, parent, friend, you still have to create that self-strength um, so that, you know, that whenever you needed that strength, that you know how to get tap into that strength that you already have. So uh, my daily routine, you ask about the tools that those uh, journaling and visualization uh, to discipline my mind to be positive direction so as creating a system daily that um, so I can maintain uh, the process not uh, not the goal or destination uh, I like that I was trying to do the math in my head of if you're practicing five hours a day for 37 years how many how many total <laughs> hours I think it's around 70,000 but well I'll check <laughs> check afterwards and see how close that is but i uh, very yeah very very impressive consistency and i like having the the kind of uh you know competing voices and telling that monster voice like hey you you might pop yeah. up sometimes but you're not gonna overtake me i like that yeah yeah i think the interestingly those voice voice about monster has a pattern and when the pattern changes then i also have to like oh where where are you coming from and i kind of question i kind of in a smile like okay let's talk about you now <laughs> where, where, where is that coming from huh and then i you know tap into it and that i think the self-awareness it's a lot to do with that. So that voice comes along that isn't, it's not surprising. It's actually kind of expected to have those negative voice and, you know, to find the ways to tame them um, and realizing that I will, I will always have that voice. Um, but that's, that's a part of the life. I always like asking musicians this because if you play enough shows, you'll eventually have a very bad one. And I think they're great to look back on. They're 
always horrible in the moment, of course, but I think they make for great stories afterwards. So I'd love to hear what's your worst gig. Oh, interesting. You know, um, one, one time in my master's, that was actually an uh, important concert in my master's degree. There was a degree recital. I was very ambitious about my repertoire, which was very technical. And I was actually got audition for a doctorate program, uh, rigorous program, so that I have to show off what I could be capable of. And that those, that's why the repertoire was very hard. Uh, when I was in that in that concert, just one moment I was going well, and and one, one moment like you know just like a, a movie, everything stops. There's no sound. <laughs> you can hear your breathing, <laughs> and all of a sudden, like who am I? Where am I? And at that moment, like you know, I could feel like my body temperature like rise at least ten degrees, and thinking oh what's going on what is next thing I supposed to do and just basically blank um and in that moment I was feeling like oh wow how how could I how could I go you know and it, it felt like forever um but at the end it wasn't forever and I somehow finished that concert but that concert was so much war going on in my head that uh you know the monster was definitely winning over Angel at that at that concert and all I wanted to do is somehow wrap up that concert and cry you know going home and cry you know and so after that I realized I needed to do something about this. Uh, I can't have this World War III, whatever the war, world war in my head and, and keep performing because this is too stressful. And that's where, but then what was interesting was that when I list, watched the video after maybe six months later, mostly closing my eyes and watched that video that recorded that particular concert, and that mishap or whatever the mistake that I thought it was gonna be disaster was not that bad as much as I thought it was. And in fact, there were a lot of people came up to me that like how how beautiful that concert was, or you know, gave them uh, some something to connect to, and they enjoyed it. They they get some strength and they connected to the music, and they really shared with me many beautiful things. Then I realized that. It is not about perfection of the notes. Uh, my perception of success of concert completely changed from since then. That is not about how perfect or what kind of mistakes or disaster is. It actually, I as long as I'm core to the message that I'm trying to give and connect to the music, that perfection is the fantasy. And I can never aim for that per perfection, not perfect, um, but I have to put my mind into the right place. So uh, now, ever, ever since that concert, working on this, my, again, the monster and all those mind battles that going on, that uh, there's, there, if there is a disaster of concert, it's then where I have a, so much mental battle within me. Uh, but actual people's perspective, that's that probably is a beautiful concert as well. So it is, um, I can always pinpoint my goal of each concert is that I walk out 
and as if this is a last concert, if this is a last concert, what to worry, you know, uh, I will never really worry about this note and that note, but I really want to express what I, I, I can give and connect with people and share this joy and beauty. Again, you know, being a concert pianist, it's beautiful and wonderful because even if I make a mistake nobody dies I'm not a doctor you know <laughs> maybe I fix a soul but it's nothing like disastrous so it, it really gives me a comfort I'm just a messenger of beauty and um, I have to just coming come from the right place of a mind and it, then there's a no failure that's a good mindset for a lot of careers I I Doctor, surgeon, yeah, probably. Maybe maybe like a uh, bungee jump instructor <laughs> uh, making a mistake. I'm, other people might notice it. But I think in, in most cases, we're our own worst critic. So if we, right. you know, in a, in a song, if we think like, oh, man, I really messed that up. People on the outside probably aren't going to notice. Like maybe maybe they, for a second, they're like, oh, that, you know, that note sounded maybe a little off. But like, oh, I'm already back into this sounding good again. Uh, and and likewise, even just if you're, you know, if you're walking somewhere and you think like, oh, you know, I just like tripped and everyone saw it. It's like, no, chances are no one did. Like people aren't paying that close attention to other people, I would say. So yeah, I, I yeah. think it is also that uh, mindset of, you know, I'm just sharing my love with this piano and music and uh, that love is overflowing from me and the, the arrow is pointing to the to the out, not arrows from outside to me. So I shouldn't care how actually people are going to think about my performance. That's actually relevant. I just have to focus on my relationship and then just me expressing, not how people are going to like me or how they're going to judge me, how they're going to actually react of how I do it. it, it I, I, it, I hope they like it, but if I, they don't, it doesn't really affect uh, who I am as a pianist. So, so that, that really helps that I stronger relationship I have with this particular music. Um, it's, it's, it's matters the most and, and people get the gift of music as a byproduct. And I know so that's why I'm focusing on my stronger relationship with the music. And then, you know, there's, again, there's no failure. And outside of your music, you mentioned that you also are now an author with your book, Whenever You're <laughs> Ready, How to Compose the Life of Your Dreams. Was a book something that you always wanted to do? Or, what, I mean, after 37 years of playing, were you like, I want to share this with people? How did that come about? <laughs> I always um, wanted to write a book. Again, you know, um, my my language, main pri primary language is Korean. Um, so it, I I always love the intimate relationship you can build with author, and you know that that relationship is always fascinating. You can actually go in someone's inside of their thinking process and actually have a dialogue internally. Um, so I wanted to maybe somehow and thought about it, but, you know, at the same time, I had again, a lot of monsters acting up and saying, you know, you, how, how is you going to do it? And, um, and I have to overcome my own fear and self-doubt in thinking that, you know, I really wanted to share 
um, my green room <laughs> of a stage. And, you know, through the performance, I can really connect with people through music. But with through the book, I can give them a, a tour guide to my process and inside of my thoughts. And at the end, it's a, create a deeper connection with audience that who already, you know, appreciate music, maybe perhaps never heard of me. So there was my window to the world to, um, to connect. And I think also I wanted to, I, I realized what I prepare in behind us in, in my green room, which is all a lot, awful a lot of this mindset and how to awaken the creativity, how to cultivate connection, how to take care of my body, how to prepare physically, emotionally, mentally. It's so much similar to preparing a life stage. So I wanted to create this like life toolkit that it worked for me in, uh, and also demystifying the talent code. They think that I have a special talent and that's why I'm doing this. And so they, you know, the title is really comes from the 30 seconds before I go on a stage. There's always stage guy holding a door, asking my cue whenever you're ready. You know, at that very moment, again, I have to create so much courage and strength within and make a decision to walk. And I think a lot of people who has, um, you know, starting a new hobby or new career or speaking engagement or writing a book or whatever hobby that you're picking up, that first step, you know, making this decision to go for it is the hardest step. And at that very moment, we need to create a lot of strength. And um, I wanted to create uh, those tools like a friend, just like we are having a coffee and talking about life, you know, no, no judgmental voice uh, attached. And so when I talk about, you know, I had a struggle with similar things, but I, for me, that worked, you know, this tool worked so that people look at these tools that I, that I use uh, as something accessible and tangible. And so, so they can be motivated and, and inspired so that this book is between their stage and, and the stage door. So whenever they're ready, they can pick up maybe one or two tools and may, maybe apply to their life. Your stage hands are much more polite than the ones uh, I've, I've dealt with in my band. I feel like the last show we played when I, the the band before us was done, <laughs> the person running the show kind of ran up and she's like, you've got to get on stage like five minutes ago. And I was like, I'm sorry, they were still playing. She's like, we're way behind. Like, you got to go. And we're like, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess because I am uh, doing mostly solo, you know, it's there's a lot of people behind um, the, the stage and, you know, still there have to wait for me to like, are you ready? Whenever you're ready, you know, that kind of thing. It's not like a group of people. So I, I always have that moment that I nod to that person and smile. And yes, you know. Do you ever, are you ever in such a playful mood that you'll do like a fake out? Like you'll start going, then you're like, actually, hold on, let me wait a minute. And then I'll go. <laughs> Um, no, I'm sure people I, I will be very I, pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, I never really done it. I think that moment is a kind of sacred moment for me to, um, so that I, I, I go into that zen or zone that I need to be, uh, to be optimal performance. And, you know, uh, and I always come out to the say smiling and, you know, being happy to see everybody. And one other thing I always like talking about with books are the covers, because mm. especially, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're physically in a bookstore or looking online, you, despite the saying, don't judge a book by its cover, a lot of people were judging books by covers. And that's often the first introduction to the book that we're seeing. And oh. I think yours very nicely reflects the feel of the book. <laughs> it's very colorful. Oh, yeah. You've got piano keys at the bottom of it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I assume incorporating piano in some way was always part of the process but was this kind of the cover you initially envisioned or how did you reach this uh, this point of, of what you ended up with I guess you know as a musician as, a, as an artist <laughs> this visual element is so important and in fact before I even write the first word of this book I already concerned about how this cover is gonna be and I'm thinking like oh you and you gotta write a book before thinking about <laughs> the cover but I really I really wanted this book to be contemporary and beautiful uh, light inviting and you know all of those elements art arty you know somehow and um so, but at the same time, I'm not a visual artist, so I have no idea, you know, I have all the visions for the image of the feeling, but I wasn't, I could not uh, create it. So when I work with the vi uh, visual artist with this graphic designer to creating a cover, I, I actually chose every time the past two years, whenever, whenever I go to a bookstore, I take a, take a picture, like, I really like the cover, something about the color, you know, but then my, my taste of the covers all over the place, because the, every cover has its own reasoning why it works for them, but maybe it's not for me. So, but at the same time, it, I noticed of some patterns that, oh, I like that because it was a strong connection to the title. Or so then, you know, the graphic designer had a, a little bit more solid idea of what I would like. And from there, he created five different drafts, completely different direction. And this, this particular color was one of those five. And for me, it was pretty clear, but it was still, there wasn't the piano keys, anything like that, but it was a similar uh, direction for the cover right now. And from there, uh, we we're talking about, I think, would that be really like a tacky to have a piano keys? You know, we didn't want it to be too obvious, like piano, black and white keys and everything. So somehow maybe keys are somewhere in the bottom, you know, but then it's not black and white, maybe colorful, um, you know, and also that color mixer of almost like mosaic kind of like ready. It also has like a little twirly kind of thing. It's almost look like a travel clef. And I really like that too. And at the end, at the end of the, the final product is a hardcover. So then, you know, we did make a decision when you open the book, there's a yellow in, inside. And um, I also incorporate those live drawings of the artist whose name is Munsup Shin when he draw uh, me performing at the live performance. And I, that was kind of like a, a, a make a div divider of each 
movements that I have. I have a five movements. So each movement, there is a drawing, live drawing. And I wanted to put the QR code for the intermission part of the, um, you know, in the inside, which uh, can direct people to come to my podcast and actually listen to my own performance of it. So every little element of the cover, I thought about it a million times. Um, and at the end, when I look at this cover, I was like, I don't know how it got in this point, but I'm completely more happy beyond happy. <laughs> and if I have to create again, I don't know I can beat this particular version. So uh, I, for me, I mean, this is because it's my baby. I actually lost the objectivity. So I don't know how people, other people would think. But for me, it's like, oh, everything's just perfect. Of everything about it is just just exactly how I envisioned and better. It's always just so amazing, like how much goes into it. I think it's very easy to think like, hey, you know, this is a, a simple kind of decision I made really quickly. Um, but I mean, I'm also writing a book and the cover had also five, you know, five options. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I like four of them. Like one, I was like, kind of like, no, no. But like four <laughs> of them, I was like, I can get on board with these. And then I, you know, I crowdsource because I, I like hearing other people's opinions too. And just like, I was fully expecting like one or two to kind of stand out, but it was such a mix. People were like, oh, I really like right. this one. I really like that one. And it was just so fascinating to see. And then some, I, I started being like, okay, I know this person a little bit. Like, I think they'll probably pick this one. And then they'd pick another one and throw a curveball at me. And I said, ha, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. And I learned that I, I shouldn't ask too many people about the decision. Like even for the actually title, I have five different options. And in fact, whenever you're ready, what's in the top one? And I think the cover as well, there's five options in that the one I'm having now, it wasn't the top one of uh, the people voted the most. And then I was like, you know, I can see why they like it. But then at the end, I, I went for what I felt like, you know, uh, but it was interesting to ask. And I didn't want to like, I don't know, do offend anyone either, you know, like because they're everybody, I feel like they have ownership of the, what they choose. So which was interesting, like, oh, you got to choose this because it's like, look at this, you know, all of those reasoning. And I listened to it. Uh, but at the end, I, I, I made a decision based on my, <laughs> my feeling. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Like, it's, it's good to crowdsource the information, but ultimately, if you're not happy with it, then it's, right. it's a big right. thumbs down, big thumbs down. Right. Now, you also have a YouTube channel, mm -hmm. and I, I feel like I say this every episode, but video is becoming a, a must-have, really, on whatever platform you're on. Obviously, YouTube's always been big on video. They were the, the original kind of video well, no, I'm not going to give them original content, but they're definitely the most popular uh, video platform. And then you see channels like Instagram, TikTok, obviously prioritizing video. So it's certainly a skill that people either should start learning or perhaps can can hone it a little better. And so it's kind of a two-part question, but how do you come up with content for your channel? And what's your video setup like? Oh, you know, when I first started this YouTube journey, um, I again, you know, as as a concert pianist, I wish 
I can just practice and perform. But the reality is that I have to be a marketing person. I have to be my own agent. I actually spend so much energy and time to publicize what I do. And, you know, I, I was actually agonized at some point, but at the same time, I become like a multi-talented person who does everything, everything and knows how to do everything and actually become a stronger musician because I have all these tools now how I can market myself, you know, whenever, whatever the platform that would be. And video was very daunting. I think, uh, as you mentioned you know, talking in front of the camera, it's something about it. And, you know, like you have to be like talking to invisible audience, um, but still be yourself and very vulnerable, I have to say. And um, still it is, it's still never easy. And I have, it's spent so much time learning how to edit the video, it takes forever and stupid caption takes like, you know, hours and hours. And like, so I think for me, um, I, I'm hesitant to say YouTuber, but I, I'm, I don't mind calling myself YouTuber either. In this time of era, I believe that we have to utilize uh, all of the elements out there, even if um, you don't do like uh, multiple videos a month or anything. I think having that outlet, your own uh, TV channel. It's important uh, as an as independent or any any business that you're in. Um, so I have like I have every corner of my house filmed some way. Like oh, what if I use that corner? Is that is it gonna work? You know, I invested in different lighting system. Uh, obviously, doing around the piano a lot, uh, but then get to the point that it takes so much time to set up. And I just want to use maybe computer uh, camera, even though I have like a thousand dollar equipment. I just just want to you know use a Zoom video and just self record or something. And I realized that contents is more important than the equipment and how fancy your editing is. So uh, now I'm actually a step uh, uh, back of my accelerator uh, foot uh, on, on YouTube because it, it, my concert started to back up and I, I, I having a little bit like, it's, it's a bit too much if I create every video every week. Um, so I think about, I actually took this like $5,000 YouTube uh, uh, class, which was very helpful actually. What they taught, taught me was um, storytelling and how to create a storytelling, which was not only for YouTube, but also stays how I talk or how what, whichever platform that I interact with people. It's how I'm going to share who I am and it's how to I create the connection with people. And and I think it also comes from the mission, why I'm doing YouTube, you know, for me, when I, when I discover uh, the, who is the audience of my channel. So for me was, I'm a concert pianist who want to connect with people and share behind the scenes a pianist and share some of the tips of practice and uh, maybe also show uh, some teaching tools, which means piano teachers might watch my video. So I, they recommend for me to create a three different specific person that in your head 
like, you know, give an even fake name. This James is 55 years old, who has been playing piano as amateur for 30 years and still feel like there's something to be learned about piano playing. She, he find out my video and what kind of uh, videos does he like to watch? And, and then there's three different kind of audience of my YouTube channel that I create based on that. And I try to create a video for those people. And ultimately, uh, that, that, that is my audience, not the world, whole world. I'm very, that we have to create a specific audience as specific as possible. And from there, um, that I try to create a, a content that is relevant to my mission so that I create a, in those audience that matches my mission, yet uh, this, this James who, you know, that I created, it's also very multifaceted person. So it's okay for me to venture out and maybe just one day I just talk about, um, you know, my, my hobby. Maybe I talk about my surfing, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of create a connection with that person too. So I, I think 80% of those very core elements of video, but 20% just to connect with that particular person, maybe have a live streaming uh, YouTube video, just talk about, you know, uh, my, my day or just talk with them and communicating them. So, um, so I think about the contents from there and I, it's like writing a, a book or uh, creating an album. There's always a writer's block. You know, I, I already always afraid, like, what if I run out of idea, ideas to create on YouTube, you know? Um, and I, that's, that fear is still there. And I think I'm just gonna relax into YouTube world. Like if if I don't feel like it, I, I wouldn't. And if my focus right now is really about some kind of particular piece of music that I'm really focusing on, I might share of that. So I, I really true to who I am and uh, that really is the content. Uh, for me, it is. Everybody has a different uh, objective for, for why they do the YouTube. But I think for me, it's, again, uh, just like a book, another window for people to have to connect with me and have a glimpse of who I am so that, you know, uh, they can learn one or two or, you know, come to a classical concert, not by me, but some other shape or form. So, um, I, I think this is kind of a long marathon and it, I, it, in the past, I tried to create a one video each week, but you know, not, not everybody have that stamina or energy to be able to do that for like 10 years or so. So when I think this YouTube journey as like my lifelong window, then um, you know, if I don't feel like it, I don't, but I do have, I create this content as consistent as possible in terms of a content that uh, it reflects who I am as, as a pianist. All right, June, you're almost off the hook here, but we always got to wrap up with a top three. And like you're saying, you've been playing piano for, what is that, 90, like 90% 90 of your life? <laughs> Uh, so you've got lots, <laughs> yeah, lots of experience <laughs> and have played at venues all over the world. So if you can, can you narrow it down to your top three venues that you've ever played at? Mm. Yeah, I think I will start with um, the smallest 
which is in Chicago, there is a um, monastery there. I actually didn't know this venue before. And when I showed up, there was a little monastery, maybe 10 to 20 monks there. There's like little upright piano that I, I was in my mind. Oh my gosh, it's going to be a disaster. Why there's upright piano. And uh, when I started to play, uh, give a concert in that particular space, I, I would just, I, it was transport myself into different world as if I'm in like, I don't know, like 18th century or something. And everybody's feels like they're coming from Europe in some Marin castle. Although that place was so humble, nothing really fancy about it. But I love that experience so much. And I cherish that very experience in my heart. And uh, whenever I, I think about that concert, it gives me a peace and, and also gives a reason why I give a concert, that, that strong connection that I, I had with that audience, that those, those monks and those, their smile, their, their peace, and their happiness through, uh, through that experience of sharing music. So that's one of that three. Um, the second one is uh, there's a concert hall called Conrad Presby uh, con uh, Performing Arts in La Jolla here. They've been building this, this uh, hall for two, two years, uh, I think multi-million concert hall. And it's been construction for, for a long, long time. Everybody was like waiting for the moment they opening. When, before they opened, they invited me because I'm local uh, for this concert hall. If I could um, test, the, test the sound in the hall while still there is something still in the construction stage. So there was acoustician from Japan whose name is Toyota. Uh, the master acoustician came from Japan and testing the sound, how the panel of the wall, how we can adjust it. And then there was a piano in, on the stage, everybody wearing a construction hat and everything. And not many people, it was like maybe 20 people. And I, I was, uh, was honored to be there to, to play piece, uh, you know, on, on that piano for the first time. And before I play, Mr. Toyota came up to me on stage and telling me like, this is the first note it ever played in this hall. And I was like, wow, it feels like big exhale exhale after holding the breath for a long time two years of holding in and then finally this hole is going to create a sound on piano by me and when I first played the first note it, it felt like I'm giving a birth or something it was unreal experience and uh, that concert hall is amazing and uh, when I give, play that uh, the concert for the construction workers or as a acoustician um, the feeling of music is such a, a life organism that that it's, it's a, like a nature, it's a mountain, a water, the music, it's part of the nature. And I really felt that and I really love it. And then the last one of the venue, and I have to say, is um, it's Carnegie Hall. Um, when I... Um, think about Carnegie Hall as my dream place that to perform, um, I had no idea. I actually did actually did not dream Carnegie Hall as my dream, but one of my friend went to Carnegie Hall, one of the concerts, and gave me a postcard of Carnegie Hall. And from that pianist that performed that evening, asked her to write, why not? 
on the top of the postcard. And then she just handed it to me. Just put Carnegie Hall concert postcard and sing on out. And I was going to receive that postcard and thinking like, what? You know? <laughs> and, and then she didn't say anything. And I put that on, in front of my desk, just, you know, because it's a nice postcard. And I looking at one day and was thinking, actually, why not? Why not play Carnegie Hall? And then I actually decided I want to play in Carnegie Hall. And I called Carnegie Hall next day and say, hey, I'm, I'm Ji-Yoon Kim, I'm a concert pianist. I was just wondering, how could I play there? And I, <laughs> the lady didn't laugh, luckily, and didn't say just practice, 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 but told me, oh, well, you need a right presenter. You need to submit this form, like thousand different forms to, uh, to us and whatever that was. After I hang up, I felt like, you know, this is not a dream anymore. This is actually... Uh, uh, steps that I could follow. And I have no connection in New York. And when I uh, create a first album, which was a Kickstarter uh, crowdfunding album, 10 More Minutes is called, uh, I ask everybody to help this project. And when they donate a dollar for that project, felt like it's their baby too, and really invested in this project. So that 10 more minutes, that particular concert was the one that I actually gave in the Carnegie Hall. And a lot of people flew from out of state to be there in Carnegie Hall and made a sold out concert. And when I went out to that stage, to Carnegie Hall, first thing I said to the audience is, welcome to my dream. And in that concert, I don't remember how <laughs> I played. It <laughs> felt like a dream a dream stage and it felt like a minute. It was an hour and a half concert, but it really felt literally a, a minute. And Carnegie Hall doesn't allow anyone to video record. So I have no proof or documentation of that particular concert. But it was pure magic. The, the piano is, is the best I ever encountered. The hall of people, the, the crowd, and the, every single of them in that space remembers that particular moment and still talks about it. And I still remember that. I could, could go back to that, that moment and I would cherish it. It's like gift for my life. And whenever I think about that moment, how could that happen? Who, who are they the, to come all the way out of state to be there for sharing another piece of music by me playing? So that is a very humbling uh, experience for me. And it's, it gives me a lot of fuel and, and also reasoning why sh I should keep going. Oh, that is so cool. So cool. Well, Jiyun, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. If people want to learn more about you, maybe hear some of your music, check out a copy of Whenever You're Ready, How to Compose the Life of Your Dreams. Where can they go? Um, yeah, I read my book also. So it is available on Audible. Uh, you can buy this book however you purchase books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And uh, if you want to get autographed copy, you can come to my website, jiyunkim.com, um, and get the order from directly there. I think I am more easily <laughs> available in public through social media, YouTube, my podcast. 
Uh, but I think the intimate relationship we can continue just like reading a book would be uh, sign up for my newsletter that I write every other two every other week um, and the reflections that I I learned or sharing my glimpse of my life through writing um, and that way you don't miss any of the events maybe coming to Austin or some other cities that um, you may not be on social media all the time but can directly connect with me through a newsletter will be um, one of the direct connections that you can make. Fantastic. Well, looking forward to you coming to Austin. Hopefully not when it's 100 degrees outside like it is I know. Today. I would love to go, you know, come to Austin to perform. Well, well, we look forward to the day that happens. June, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was great. Thank you so much. Right. I had a great time. And of course, we got to end with a corny joke and I made it even piano themed. This is... I try to I try to pair it with the topic of the episode, and this is uh, it's not good, but it's corny, and that's all we need here. What do you call a laughing piano? <laughs> what could that be? What is it? A Yamaha. <laughs> good afternoon, today, people. <laughs> good people, cool things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you are a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show, you can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 